you are here today, you need to know you matter. This is your first time with us. I wanted to share a philosophy we have here at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God, which means you matter. And we are thankful that you have chosen to spend your morning with us. And we hope that the time that you spend with us today, you just find out that you're among friends and family, people who are on the same journey as you, trying to uh, trust in God with all their heart and honor the Lord Jesus. And so we're excited uh, that you are with us here today. Uh, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church. And uh, we have been, over the last few weeks, talking about one subject, and that is hope. And uh, the next week, we're going to get into a new series, and I'm kind of scared and excited about it at the same time, uh, trying to unpack really kind of the real reason why we struggle, some of the things that, that we face each and every day, some of the reasons why we have problems in this life and can't seem to overcome uh, those struggles. We're going to unpack why that is. And what we can do about it. And so we're going to kind of take uh, week by week uh, through what God has been kind of working with me in my own life. And, and be unpacking that for you all here. And then we'll take a break for Easter. Kind of talk about, um, to do a little mini-series around Easter to kind of usher in that holiday. And then we'll jump back into uh, the next series to finish it up. But today is the last day of the series on hope. And um, we've talked about through this series that there is hope for yesterday, overcoming the mistakes that we've made and the circumstances we've encountered. There's hope for today, knowing that even if we wake up to trials and tribulations today, that there is hope to get through that. And then there is hope for tomorrow, because tomorrow is in the hands of the Lord, and we have no reason to fear what is out of our control. We have hope for today and tomorrow. But the question I have for you today is this. What do you do? When you have lost hope, what do you do? When we enter trials and difficult seasons, especially when they seem to prolong themselves, when we start going through situations that, that when everything that could go wrong does, and we just, we get on our knees and we're praying and we're praying and our knees are raw from all the prayer we've been throwing up to heaven and heaven seems silent. Nothing seems to shift or change in our favor. We continue to struggle with the same issues over and over again to the point that we just kind of get to that place where we're like, you know what, there might not be any light at the end of this tunnel. It's easy to lose our hope. It's easy to say this is as good as it gets. I'm destined to just be miserable. When we lose hope, we start saying one word an awful lot, and that is the word never. My marriage will never get better. He will never change. She will never change. My kids will never change. My boss will never change. I'll never get a shot to change my situation. I'll never be given an opportunity. I'll never make enough money. I'll never get over this struggle. We use negative speech. And when our speech is filled with more can'ts than cans, more nevers than evers, a dark cloud begins to fall all around us, and our lives seem to go dark, and we begin to look through our lives through this negative lens. And even in, when this happens, when things begin to be dark and become negative, and all we can see are the problems that we face, we even begin to grow distant in our relationships, pushing people away, and can even become angry and bitter at God. And when we're angry and bitter at God, we start praying like this. We start saying, God, why did you let me go through this? Why did you abandon me? Why didn't you come through? Why didn't you just stop it? If you are all-powerful, then you must not be good. Or if you are good, then you must not be all-powerful to let me endure this situation. Have you thought those things before? Even spoken those things out loud? I know I have, time or two. We get like that when we lose our hope. And we stop praying, and we start putting our, stop putting our trust in the Lord and start putting our trust in things that we feel like we can control and navigate and manipulate in our own lives. We stop trusting in his word and in his promises and looking to God for, for help. And we just start to accept this season as our lot in life. This is as good as it gets. 
because we feel like nothing can or will ever change. The truth is, life doesn't have to stay that way. We can look and experience through life, even in the midst of struggle and trial, through a completely different lens than the hopeless lens. The hopeless lens, there's no joy, there's no happiness, there's nothing but sorrow and pain, frustration and anger with a constant focus on our problems. But we don't have to stay stuck in the hopeless lens. We can look through our life and experience life through a lens of hope. But it's difficult when you're in the thick of it, in the midst of it, to switch from being hopeless to being hopeful. That's very difficult. It's easier said than done to go from hopeless to hopeful. And in order to do that, you have to take some proactive steps. There's some things that you have to do to get your hope back. And this is where our story today begins. We're going to look at a story about a man named Gideon. But before we jump in there, I want to look at one passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Here's what Paul says to the church of Rome. He says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us what? Is that word? Hope. And what? Encouragement. As we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. This is why we have the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. That's Bible. That's why we have it. It's not to look sweet on your coffee table or collect all the dust bunnies. Right? We have the word. We have the scripture for one important reason. That when we get to that place of hopelessness, we can open the word, see what the people of times past went through, and see how God worked out their situation for good. And we can receive hope and encouragement. And so today we are going to do that very same thing. We're going to read about Gideon. And now we're going to read a lot of scripture today, probably a little bit more than usual. But I know this is the super spiritual crowd that knows that God's word never returns void. It's never vain to read the word of God. And so we're all okay with that, right? Amen? Amen? That's what I thought. Everyone else that, you know, that, that's not here today can feel ashamed of themselves. But here we go. We're going to read in uh, Judges chapter 6 and a couple verses in Judges chapter 7. If you have your Bible with you, uh, which would be a great thing, go ahead and turn there. The verses will also be on the screen. And we're going to look at the story of Gideon, and we're going to see... As we, after we read the, uh, the story, we're going to talk about what I see in the scripture. We're going to identify six steps that you can take, that you can journey through to go from hopeless to hopeful, to get your hope back. And I believe this story is going to spark some hope in someone's heart today because I know in my own life, as I've had to go through a process of hope restoration, it has made an impact on me. So beginning in verse 1, Judges chapter 6, we read in the word of the Lord, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys, these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the, until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who were oppressed. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land, and I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, Sir, Gideon replied, the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have. 
But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home and cooked a young goat with a basket of flour and baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord where, there and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezar to this day. And the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then, he, then build an altar to the Lord your God there on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, Who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded to Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which meant let Baal defend himself, because he broke down Baal's altar. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn, and as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I'll put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked, and the fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we have read your word, and are remembering the story of Gideon. God, I pray our hearts would be open and our minds would be ready to receive what you have for us today. God, I just pray for the ones here today that are just at the end of the rope. God, they're hopeless. They're looking through life through that hopeless lens. I pray today, God, you would shatter that lens in the name of Jesus. God, the hope would rise in their hearts. And as we look at kind of a process of restoration, how to get our hope back, God, I pray that spark of hope would begin to flame even now in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. So Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. In ancient times, a wine press could be uh, just kind of a short but wide barrel that would be filled with grapes, and they would stand in the barrel and stomp the grapes down to squeeze out the juice, or it could be a, a big hole dug in the ground laced with rock, and, and they would uh, do the, the very same thing just to uh, squeeze the grapes out to make wine. And here Gideon had found a wine press, either it was in his father's property or there in town, and he was hiding in that wine press. Somebody say wine press today. Good, I just want to make sure that you're tracking with me. He was in a wine press, hiding 
because the Midianites, if they saw him, would have taken his lunch. Reminds me of growing up, people taking lunch money, big bullies. But uh, this is what was going on in the land of Israel. And so he was hiding in the wine press. Israel was being so heavily oppressed by this Midianite army so severely that they just weren't interested in conquering the land and being in control and enslaving the nation. They wanted to exterminate these people. They wanted to starve them to death. And so in fear for his life, starving and desperate for food, Gideon hides, trying to prepare his wheat for making bread. These are not the actions of a person feeling brave and strong. This isn't a person filled with hope. No, these are the actions of someone looking over their shoulder, fearful and hopeless about a situation. Like it's every man for himself. He's not his own. He's not going to have any backup. He's on his own. And when we feel like that, when we feel like God has abandoned us to our circumstances, again, it's easy to lose hope even in God and question his faithfulness or even his existence. Now, Gideon, he wasn't ignorant of God or of his word. He knew the stories. He knew. He wasn't ignorant of the promises of God. He even uses the knowledge that he has of God against God when God approaches him about delivering Israel. And he basically says, yeah, God, I know what you did before. I know about all the miracles. I know what you did for our ancestors. But you know what? I don't know if you're going to do what you said you're going to do based upon my situation. Right now, the way I look at things, it's as if you do not care. How am I supposed to believe anything is going to change because it doesn't look like you're going to fulfill what you've promised? Or maybe somehow those promises just don't apply to us today. You see, when we lose hope, it's easy to believe there is no reason to get our hopes up. That there's nothing positive to look forward to. Even when God tells us directly that he's going to take our messed up situation and work it out for his good. For our good, rather, in his glory. That he's going to take all things, Romans 8.28, for God will work out all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his promise. God has given us this promise that he will take our mess and make something beautiful out of it. But when we are hopeless, we can't even believe what we know about God. And Gideon was filled with fear because of his circumstances. They defined his life. And so he retreated to a wine press. And I understand kind of what he was going through to some extent because for most of my life, I've been kind of afraid about what might happen next in any given situation. Uh, Learning more about myself, realizing that I've been basically an introvert my whole life, I too have retreated to my own wine presses in fear for what might happen or to feel some sense of security. And, you know, we all have wine presses. We all have things that we run to for that feeling of safety and security, for, for some kind of comfort. For some, it might be that you run to alcohol or cigarettes or some type of drug. Some of you, you might run to sex or sexual encounters, pornography or or food and overeating. Some of you, you might run to entertainment and just want to numb your mind with with what's out there. Some of you might be sports. You're so obsessed with your sports teams that when you get connected to that, it's like the whole world stops. Some of you, you run to codependent relationships where you let the people around you uh, alter or define who you believe you are and your comfort and your security. Some of you might run to laziness. You just check out from the world and and sleep your day away. Some of you might even be isolation. You retreat from the world. We all have wine presses. And we go into these wine presses to feel safe and in control. But the truth is that when we hide in these wine presses, we're simply just living in denial about what's really going on in our hearts. The wine presses don't protect us. They keep us in that state of fear or in that state of hopelessness. Remember what Gideon named the altar that he set up for God. It was called El Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. You see, when we run or retreat to our wine presses instead of running to God, we're literally running to the very or running away from the very thing that is the source of what we are actually looking for and needing in our lives. We're running from the source of hope and peace when we run from God to other sources. And Gideon, he was hiding 
in his winepress because he doubted God. In Judges chapter 6, verse 13, we just read, you know, Gideon's reply to God. He said, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? You know, for those of you that maybe grew up in church, you've been to Sunday school, you've been to every service since uh, church was invented, you've, you know, every time the doors were open, you know all the stories, you can quote all the Bible stories, you know all the songs, you know who God is, what he can do, and what he's promised. And even for some of you, if you're here today and you didn't grow up in church, and maybe here this is the first time you've ever walked into a church building, you walked in here with some idea that you know that God is supposed to be all-powerful and all-good. You know something about God. But see, when you feel hopeless, all you feel like you can do is hide in your wine press for security because the size of your circumstance greatly exceeds any faith in what you thought you knew to be true which is why you're trying to protect yourself, running to coping mechanisms in order to bring you comfort. And when you get stuck in that place of hopelessness, it takes a process to kind of get you out of that in order to restore the hope that you've lost. And, and so today, again, we're going to talk about six practical things that will create a process of hope restoration in your life. Before we do that, I want you to tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell them, I'm glad you're here today. Because today is the day you begin to get your hope back. Today is the day you begin to get your hope back. Amen. Now, in the life of Gideon, in this story, the first thing that I see, and if you have your worship guide, this would be the great, great time to take notes. The first thing I see that you need to do when you're in a state of hopelessness, hiding in a wine press, in order to get your hope back is this. Number one, to recognize as a child of the Most High God, you are called to a higher purpose. As a child of God, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know him as your Lord and Savior, you are called to a higher purpose. You are more than just a person who needs to try to survive the dangers of this world hiding in your wine press, being stuck in a security blanket. You've been remade by Jesus Christ into something special. You are forgiven in Christ, the word tells us. You are redeemed in Christ, the word tells us. You are adopted in Christ. You are loved in Christ. You're a joint heir to inherit all things prepared for Jesus in eternity in Christ. You are seated in the heavenly places of honor with Christ. You have authority in Christ. You are protected in Christ. You are successful in Christ. You are blessed in Christ. You are healed in Christ. You are empowered in Christ. You are honored in Christ. You are called in Christ. You are purposed in Christ. And you are chosen for a high calling in Jesus Christ. You are more than what you realize. You are more than a person who just needs to hide in fear in their wine press. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, For we are God's masterpiece. We're created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you are in Christ, you are a Christian, you are a new creation, you are called to a higher purpose. You are not here by accident, and God has a great plan for your life. So in reality, hiding in a wine press is actually beneath you. It's beneath you because you are worth more than that. Running to coping mechanisms is beneath the child of God. Jesus gave his life, went through the horrors of the cross, conquered death and hell, came back to life on Easter Sunday, adopted you into his family through your faith and trust in him so that you can have an abundant life. Hiding in a wine press does not bring about an abundant life. It brings about more brokenness and heartache. And you and I, we make his sacrifice in vain. We take the cross of Jesus for granted when we neglect what he won for us by running to the things that keep us in a state of fear. The word says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And we run to the things that keep us in that state of fear. We neglect, we take for granted what God won for us on the cross. 
These wine presses keep us in fear. They keep us feeling powerless and keep us from living up to our true potential in Christ Jesus. When God came to Gideon, he called him mighty warrior because God knew who he made Gideon to be and what he called Gideon to do, even though Gideon didn't realize it. The process of hope restoration begins when you realize that God has called you to a higher purpose. Number two, the second thing you need to realize is that God has already given you everything you need. He's given you everything you need to overcome this season and fulfill his purpose for your life. See, when we are hopeless and we're hiding in our wine press, we feel like God just needs to swoop down like Superman and and fix it and change our situation. He needs to save us. We're so fearful, we feel like we're just waiting for something, some type of rescue, because we're not good enough or prepared or equipped enough or strong enough for the challenge ahead to change our current plight. See, when God called Gideon a mighty warrior, Gideon's reply was this. He was like, God, have you seen how weak I am? I'm the, my family, they're shrimpy, and I'm the smallest of them all. Have you seen how small and insignificant my family is? And I'm the one you're calling mighty warrior? Have you seen how many problems I have? Have you seen all the mistakes of my past? Have you seen the reputation that I've acquired for myself and all the brokenness in my life? Have you seen that, God? See, when we're hopeless, we feel just like that. We feel powerless and powerless to change anything about ourselves. But look what God says to Gideon in response to his doubt. Chapter 6, verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go with what? The strength you have. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. Why? Because I am sending you. I am sending you. See, God is not going to call you without equipping you. He will not leave you high and dry, but he will send you out filled and overflowing. And God is saying to Gideon right here and to those of you who are feeling hopeless in this place today that you are stronger than you feel. You are stronger than you feel. You see, feelings and emotions are powerful things. But when they are deceiving, they are powerfully deceptive. And we feel a lot of things when we are hopeless. And most of them aren't true. Especially our emotions are deceptive when they make us feel like that we're too weak to move forward or or that we're too afraid or, or too incapable of taking a step to change our situation. And this is exactly what our enemy wants. The accuser, the devil, he is a liar, and he likes to lie to us, preying on our emotions and our feelings and our our lack of confidence to keep us from being who God made us to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul the apostle was feeling a little hopeless. He was struggling with some type of impairment or physical situation, and he prayed to God multiple times for healing, and God's response, this is Paul revealing God's response. It says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. For my power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. You see, when we feel at our weakest, when we feel at our lowest, that's when God's power can be most evident. Why? Because we realize we're not in control. And we won't be trying to manhandle our situation. We'll only be doing what we can do so that God can come in and do what only he can do. So you need to understand, as a child of God, that you are called to a higher purpose, but you are also stronger than you feel today, church. God has already given you everything you need to succeed. And how do we know that? It's because he is the one who is sending you out into the fight. In 1 John 4, 4, John says this. He says, but you belong to God, my dear children. And you've already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. See, if God is in you, then you have everything you need. Because if God is in you, then he is for you. And if he is for you, then what can be against you? Paul asks this question to the church. If God is for you, what can be against you? And the answer is what, church? Nothing. Nothing can be against you. See, when you are feeling hopeless, 
You need to, one, recognize you are called to a higher purpose. Two, understand that you have everything you need. And number three, you need to get the heck out of your wine press. You need to get out of your wine press. Jesus is the angel of the Lord. Many scholars believe that when the Bible refers to the angel of the Lord, this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus revealing himself in history before he was born on Christmas day to the Virgin Mary. This is Jesus at work in history. This is why Gideon freaked out whenever the, the, the broth and the sacrifice or the, the meat burned up into flames because he knew he was in the presence of Almighty God. And the angel of the Lord, he was waiting not in the wine press, but he was waiting on the other side of the wine press, speaking to Gideon within the wine press. You see, before Gideon could have his hope again, before he could feel close to God again, he had to overcome the very thing that was holding him back. And some of us, we have so many walls erected up in our hearts, so many things that are separating us from feeling close to God. And we're too afraid to climb over those walls for fear of what might be on the other side. But the reality is, is it's Jesus on the other side. So if you want hope back, then you need to take action against everything that's keeping your heart away from God. To break away from what's giving you a false sense of security and just place yourself at the feet of Jesus. And the way we do that is by refocusing our worship back to the one who can truly save who can change our situation. See, as people, Paul the Apostle tells us in the epistles in one of his letters that we make uh, idols out of just about everything. And some people, their, their God is their stomach. They, they, they uh, devote themselves to what they eat and how they can experience pleasure. And as people, what we do is we worship what we depend on. What we depend on for that safety, that security, that is really what we worship. Ultimately, our wine presses, our security blankets, our dependencies represent the idols that we've erected in our lives. And because we run to these wine presses that are actually idols, idols that attempt to replace God in our lives, the wine presses where we seek refuge are not places of refuge, but they're prisons we feel like we can't escape. And in order to break free from the power of these prisons, we have to tear down the idols that empower the wine presses in our lives and redirect our worship to Jesus. Judges chapter 6, verse 25 says, The night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal to cut down the astral pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the astral pole you cut down. You see, this idol, this, uh, the uh, um, astral pole and the altar to Baal wasn't even Gideon's. It belonged to his father. And some of us have generational idols, generational idolatry, things that we need to break away from if we are to get our hope back and get our lives right with God. Our false idols, our wine presses, they feed our insecurity and our feelings of hopelessness. They negatively affect all areas of our lives. And if we're going to get our hope back, then we need to get out of those wine presses and stop giving us ourselves over to the very things that are holding us back. You know, some of us, we need to end the ungodly relationships and separate from those ungodly influences. Stop the drugs. Stop the pornography. Stop hiding in isolation. Stop running to alcohol. Stop spending your money uh, unwisely because it gives you some sense of uh, security. Stop overreading. Stop uh, putting, investing yourself in mindless entertainment. Basically, get rid of anything and everything that is fighting for first place in your heart. Put an end to every obsession, addiction, ungodly behavior you have that takes priority over your relationship with Jesus. Everything that keeps a barrier between you and the Lord and replace the time and energy you invested into that idol, into that wine press, into your relationship with God. Refocus your worship. Tear down the idols. Climb out of your wine press to get your hope back. You need to recognize you are called to a higher purpose. Recognize you have everything you need. Get out of your wine press. And number four, acquire a band of brothers. 
Acquire a band of brothers. Judges chapter 6, verse 27 says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. When you begin to climb out of your wine press and put away the idols that you've been worshiping your whole life, it can be a fearful thing. When you start breaking out of those wine presses, the tendency is, is that we want to creep back in our wine presses when things get tough. When you start tearing down idols, the tendency is, is not to tear them down completely. We just want to hold on to just a little bit of idolatry, a little bit of our idols. So then when things get rough, we can go back to them. This is why habits and addictions circle around and bite us in the rear again later in life because we don't fully detach ourselves and we never fully get free. According to recent studies, the likelihood for you to break a bad habit or to change and overcome a habitual personal issue is dramatically affected when you have a group of people around you to encourage you and support you through it. And just like Gideon, you need to surround yourself with people who are loyal to you, who will have your back, encouraging growth in your relationship with God. You see, you are not an island. You're not. And as people, we are not meant to go through this life alone. God made us to need community. We're creatures of community, which is why, have you ever thought about this? This is why the church is not a person, it is people. I mean, a lot of us, we, we go to church and we, we try to treat our Christian life like we're an island, that it's just about us. We go, we listen, and we go home. And we don't really interact or connect with other people. This has been a struggle my whole life, being able to figure out how to connect and make lasting and quality relationships. But this is what we were designed for, is the church is meant to be a people, not a person. And God has given us the church for encouragement and strength. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul tells the church of Galatia to share each other's burdens. And this way, obey the law of Christ. That the church exists not just to be religious, but to walk hand in hand through our struggles and our trials and to help bear the weight of the struggles that we go through. But not only is the church here for encouragement, but also for accountability. Because we will need help to stay in line, to stay on target, to keep following Christ when the enemy is trying to introduce things in our lives to wreck our lives. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We need people in our lives to come alongside of us, to not only encourage us, but to help us stay on track, to stay focused moving forward, overcoming fear, and stepping out of our wine presses as we trust the Lord. If we want our hope to be restored, we need to recognize we are called to a higher purpose. Recognize you have everything you need. Get out of your wine press. Acquire a band of brothers. And number five, you need to hear and test the word of God. You need to hear and test the word. See, once you get out of your wine press and you surround yourself around with people who encourage you, it's time to take little steps of faith. God told Gideon to take what he had and place it on the stone. And when he did, the Lord touched it and engulfed it in flames. Gideon was amazed. His eyes were opened, and he realized who was with him. And this is what taking steps of faith, this is what hearing the word and testing the word it does. The more we obey, the more we realize God's hand in our lives. James chapter 1, verse 22 says this. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, it's not enough. Gideon knew the promises of God. Gideon knew who God was and what he was capable of. But it wasn't enough for him to just know that information. He had to do something about it. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Right? If money has been your idol, then begin testing the word by simply obeying God in the tithe. And see how God provides for your needs. Watch your eyes open up and be like, wow, God's word is true. And if you have a secret sin you can't overcome, begin testing the word by getting an accountability partner and confessing your sins one to another. Stop living in denial. Stop, stop trying to be in an island and live in the truth. John 8, 32 says you'll know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Right? If you start living in the truth, you bring what's in darkness into the light, you'll see the truth of God will begin to deliver you what's been holding you down. Your eyes will be opened and you realize, oh, 
the word is true and God is with me. If you idolize your kids at the cost of your marriage and you wonder why you have marriage problems, start by making your marriage a priority and see how God begins to turn your family around for good and restore joy in your home. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like, oh, God's word is true and he's with me. If isolation and depression is your wine press, stop hiding in isolation. Get into a life group that's our community groups where you can regularly meet and interact with people who you can encourage and can encourage you and watch how God begins to remove that blanket of negativity from your life. Your eyes will be open and you'll say, huh, God's word is true and he's with me. See, after Gideon's sacrifice experience, he began to trust God more and more even began to put out fleeces and tested God's word in simple steps of faith. And this built his confidence in the word of God because he saw the faithfulness of God and he learned through that process to trust him more and more. See, the more you test the word, the more you'll see his faithfulness and the more you'll get to trust his heart. If you want your hope back, you need to recognize you are called to a higher purpose. You have everything you need. Get out of your wine press. Get a band of brothers. Hear and test the word. And then finally, number six, go forth in faith. Go forth in faith. This is taking action. Do something about it. You see, without hope, we don't have the motivation to move forward to take on the battles laid before us because we are ripe with apathy. We can't even peel ourselves up off of the couch. But even though we feel that way when we're hopeless, we need to recognize God has already given you the victory over your situation. You just haven't realized it yet. You see, victory doesn't come before the battle. If you want to get to victory, then you have to go through the process of war, the process of battle, to come out on the other side victorious. See, once Gideon began going through that process of hope restoration, God was able to move him out of his wine press and onward towards greater battles to achieve greater victories because his hope was in the Lord and not in what he could control with his own power. And God put Gideon against his greatest challenge yet. In Judges chapter 7, we read that Gideon had to face the entire Midianite armada, the entire army. And because he was facing this battle, he needed to recruit some men for himself. And so God allowed Gideon to go on a recruit mission, and Gideon was able to recruit 32,000 Israelite soldiers for himself. Once he got all the Israelite soldiers, he had a conversation with God, and God said, you know what? I think you have too many people. And so he instructed him on how to identify who was allowed to go to war and who was supposed to leave. And through that process, God whittled his 32,000 strong army down to just 300 men. 300 men to stand against a 135,000 strong army. And I believe that's why we tend to hide in our wine presses. This is why we go to other things other than God for safety and security because too often God sends us out to face impossible odds and it is really scary. When we look at our problems and our circumstances, we look at the foes that God has set us up to face and we think we are totally outnumbered, our fear begins to outweigh our faith and we shrink back. But knowing our hearts and knowing what was going on in the heart of Gideon, look what God says to Gideon as he was facing these unbeatable odds. Judges chapter 7, verse 9. God says, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you'll be greatly encouraged. And then you'll be eager to attack. God told Gideon, just trust me. And obey what I've said. Obey the word and see for yourself, Gideon. And Gideon did. He stepped out in faith. He went down into the camp to hear what they were saying in the camp. And the word of the Lord records that his heart was greatly encouraged. In other words, Gideon was filled with hope. And hope rose within his heart. And as it rose within his heart, he began to uh, regain the confidence that he needed to walk forward in faith, to be who God made him to be, and to do what God wanted him to do. And what did God wanted him to do? God wanted him to win. And in the words of our president, he wanted him to get sick of winning. Just like God wants us to get sick of winning as the church of Jesus Christ. 
He will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. We get to win. We get to win every time. We get to win. This is what he wants. Another translation of the statement in verse 9 of Judges chapter 7, where it says his heart was encouraged, it says his hands were strengthened. You say, when we are hopeless, our hands feel weak. We feel powerless. We feel like we can't do it. It's not worth trying, God. We have more can'ts than cans, more nevers than evers. We see no positive light at the end of the tunnel. But when we go through the process of hope restoration, our hands will become stronger over time. And as they become strengthened, we'll be emboldened to fight adversity at any form. Gideon went from feeling weak in a wine press to standing in victory over an unstoppable enemy. And we all, one time or another, will feel weak as we hide in our own wine presses. But when you recognize you are called to a higher purpose, you have everything you need. You get out of your wine press, get a band of brothers, hear and test the word, and go forth in faith. You will realize that hope was leading you the entire time. And his name is Jesus. The core concept of this message today is this. When hope leads the way, God takes insurmountable odds in your life and transforms them into victorious legacy. When hope leads the way, God takes insurmountable odds in your life and transforms them into victorious legacy. God whittled Gideon's 32,000 strong army down to 300 men and used 300 men to defeat 135,000 strong. Gideon's fight was impossible, but because his hope was restored and he followed the Lord, he was victorious. And today, church, I ask you today, what is robbing you of your hope? What is your impossible battle you are too afraid to get out of your wine press to face? Is it a spouse who is far from God or maybe they're struggling with a sin you have a hard time dealing with? Is it the loss of a loved one and the grief is just too much to bear and you can't get out of bed in the morning? Is it constant criticism by those you love or Maybe a betrayal you've not been able to fully recover from. Maybe you're struggling with a sin on your own and you're too ashamed to confess it. Maybe you're battling an illness and the battle is leaving you weak and it makes you feel like hiding in a wine press because that is a little safer bet than trusting God. Maybe you've erected so many false idols in your life and now you can't see yourself really believing that tearing them down is better for you. And you're having a hard time giving up the things you know are in the way between who God wants you to be and doing what God wants you to do. Whatever you are struggling with today that is robbing you of your hope, my challenge to you is this. When we pray, when we stand together and pray, is to come down and surrender that to the Lord. Step out of your wine press. Cast down the facade of religious purity and togetherness. You know, for some of us, our wine press might just be what we think other people think about us. You know, I grew up in church where I was told by my parents, you don't go down the altar because people might think you're not being going down there for serious reasons. You don't go down to the altar, and I've heard people say, because they might think I'm struggling with something, and I don't want them to know. You know, that religiosity, that facade of togetherness is a wine press in and of itself. And that might be the very thing God is wanting to break you away from to kind of humble you a little bit so that he can begin using you for the purpose he prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So when we stand together and we pray, whatever has been holding you back from giving your heart fully to God, whatever has been in the way between what God has made you to be and doing what God has called you to do, you come down here and just lay yourself at the feet of Jesus. And you say, God, you know what? I'm yours. I'm climbing out of the wine press and I'm placing myself at your feet and allow God to begin that hope restoration process in your life. Today is the day you get your hope back as you trust him with your life. And I truly believe that if you come down and you begin to just give yourself over to the Lord, say, Lord, I surrender. I'm tired of fighting. I surrender. I believe the spark of hope will begin to rise again. 
and give strength to your hands as you walk in victorious faith today in Christ Jesus. There is hope for yesterday. There is hope for today. And there is hope for tomorrow because Jesus Christ is that hope. I wanna close today with two blessings from Paul the Apostle. And I speak this over to you all today. This is from Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 and Romans 15, 13. This is what Paul says. He says, I pray, and this is my prayer for you. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance, his rich and glorious inheritance in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's all stand together in this place with an attitude of prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. Just before the team begins to sing, as I was praying and just spending time with God this morning, I believe God spoke to me, and this is what he said. He says, you who say in your spirit, Abba, Father, take refuge and come near. For the Lord is your rock and your salvation. You who are sick, come close. For the Father's powerful right hand will lift you up. For healing is in his wings and love is on his lips. You who say, I'm done, find hope and peace. And to you who say, I've come, find grace, mercy. Let it be known that the meek shall be praised, the humble lifted up, the weak strengthened, and the mourning comforted, for the Lord is with you. He is one God and alone will watch over you, for he never sleeps or slumbers. And this I declare to you today, church. Lord, Father, we have come and gathered in your presence. God, we we are thankful that you are here I thank you for the work that is done through the Holy Spirit as your word is declared. Now, God, I pray that we would have the faith to respond. I pray against pride and arrogance and pretense. And God, I just pray that we would be a people who are wholly submitted, wholly surrendered to you. God, I pray for the person here that maybe they have never in their life trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't know the hope that they have in Jesus because they've never had a time in their life where they said, God, I am yours. I trust in Jesus. I pray, Lord, as we begin to sing, that they would step out here and they would kneel down and allow me to introduce them to the one that can change their life. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.